Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is the second in our annual series devoted to our popular Meet the Nominees feature film symposium. Now in its 28th year, the event is a roundtable discussion with the directors nominated for the Guild's Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Feature Film. This year's nominees include Bradley Cooper, the director of A Star is Born, Alfonso Cuaron, the director of Roma, Peter Farrelly, the director of Green Book, Spike Lee, the director of Black Klansmen, and Adam McKay, the director of Vice. Each of these talented directors were gathered on February 2nd at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles to discuss the craft of directing and the making of their films with moderator Jeremy Kagan. So please enjoy part two of our Meet the Nominees special and listen to the five nominees discuss their respective approaches to casting. Highlights include how Peter Farrelly convinced Viggo Mortensen to take on the role of Tony Lip, why Alfonso Cuaron doesn't believe in directing kids, and how Bradley Cooper fared years ago during an audition for Spike Lee. Talk about your process of, of casting and how it has evolved over the years. And how it has not evolved. And how do you do it? <laughs> get the best person for the role. And how do you find that? You get the best person for the role. <laughs> this, is, 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 this is not some secret stuff. Well, if somebody's You got to get the best people for the role, or it's not going to work. Absolutely. If someone's walking into your office in an audition, what happens to that? What's the process? Well, I mean, first of all, everything's different. So there's no one way to do anything. I found Rosie Perez dancing on a speaker at a party. Do the right thing. Uh, Jungle Fever was Halle Berry's first film. I mean, she had to come back six times. Her character is a, a $3 crack hole. And she was too fine the first five times. <laughs> <laughs> Finally got smart. And so she didn't take, take a shower for a week. And I didn't recognize her. Then she got the part. <laughs> so it, it's, it's really... Were there- it's instinct. Uh-huh. You know, you also I always try to have like a certain amount of roles I want to introduce new people, yep. have new faces. Who's in the room when you're in uh, My cast, uh, casting director has been uh, right now, it's uh, Kim Coleman, Robbie Reed. I only had like, I used to call it like three casting directors over the entire time. Will you be videotaping them? Will you look at those videotapes? How do you deal with that? Or do you? Well, if, I'm, if somehow I'm not, I, I can't be with them, I uh, look it on tape, but I have to be in the room. I have to be in the room because uh, tape can only tell you so much. I agree. Sometimes in an audition, you'll be in the process of asking an actor to read and redirect them. Sometimes you'll do something else. And go get into conversation. I'm curious, you know, if you were casting. Well, if someone comes to the room and you know they're not right, you want to get them out of there as soon as possible. Because <laughs> there's, 
you're wasting time. Mm -hmm. And you got a whole bunch of people to see. So you try, you, you, I'm very curious, you know, thank you for coming. Mm -hmm. If I know them, you know, good to see you. But they got to go. <laughs> Next. And will you, will you ask them to read for you? And who's reading with them if somebody is? Uh, usually uh, the cast and director. Were there parts in this movie that you found more challenging in terms of casting? Well, oh, the, the, not the David Duke character, but uh, Jasper. Yeah, it's amazing. The guy who plays Felix? Yeah, he's, he came in to, I never knew him, never even heard of him. And so he's given a riveting uh, read. And I look at his last name, I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> because it, I say, where are you from? And he wouldn't tell me. I say, yo, my man, where are you from? <laughs> he says, Helsinki, Finland. I said, damn, I thought you from Mississippi, Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, do you remember? He's from Helsinki, he got the part. Do you remember what scene you asked him to read? Do you remember? <laughs> I remember the scene, but... He played the part, and, and, and he got it, you know, so um, it's amazing that... Uh, in casting his wife, uh, who played oh, Ashley Vertani? Yes, she was an inside man. Got it. And she's great Broadway actress, a lot of yep. Broadway. Yeah, it's an amazing performance I think she gives, by the way. Separately. And she's from Little Rock, Arkansas, too. This I didn't... From Little Rock. And the, uh, in casting, this is very specific. There's a, I wonder about Harry Belafonte, but specifically, there's a, an amazing, for me, sequence in which Stokely is giving his... Oh, oh, Kwame, Kwame, Kwame Touré. Kwame Touré is giving Change his... Name, Kwame Touré. Is giving his speech, and there are right. these fabulous faces that you have mm. up here before mm. us listening to what he's saying. Did you cast them, and do you remember the process? No, I'm sorry, you, you cast did. what, the faces? Yeah, no, those people. I'm, I'm curious when... What, yeah, the extras. And we pull uh, here. So there's a big auditorium, and we cast extras. So we had a before that we had an open call in in Brooklyn, New York. If you have an afro, show up. <laughs> <laughs> How many wigs did you see? <laughs> no, no, no. We I spot the afro wigs. They got pulled out. Yeah, it came with the wig. Now you had to have a natural. And so we knew those were the people we were going to use throughout the scene because we were in uh, Froze. But the reason why Chase, the DP, and I just did that because that's those words that Corey Hawkins, who's playing Kwame Ture, Kevin and I, co-screenwriter, we got his speeches. And so we put together several speeches. And so he's saying, black people, you are beautiful. Your lips are big, your noses are wide, you are beautiful. So, it, it, I mean, it was easy to say, we have to show the many different, many variations, variations of black people. Mm -hmm. So we had different colorations, all that stuff. So it was just really to emphasize the words that we're saying. And, and again, we're talking about 
the mid-70s, you know. That's, there's a reason why we had that scene where they're reciting the words of James Brown's song, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. We weren't taught that, you know. We were subhuman, animals, savages. Look at the history of American cinema. There's a reason why the movie opens with First one of the most famous scenes in the history of American cinema with that shot from Gone with, Gone with the Wind. There's a reason why Birth of a Nation is in this film. We're dealing with the history of American cinema in this. And so, in this speech, Kwame Trey talks about growing up having loved Tarzan. And he made the comparison as if a Jewish child was cheering Nazis Nazi, uh, marching yeah. Jewish people on the way to the concentration camp. So people like Malcolm, Martin, Kwame Ture, we had to learn to love ourselves. Because we've been, let me finish please. Please. Because we have been taught to hate ourselves, to hate our skin, our hair, our negroidal features, if you ever see my film Bamboozle, look at the last five minutes, which is a compilation of many racist images. We have in that film, we have Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney in blackface. Bugs Bunny in blackface. Mm. That is why we want to emphasize, because we've been brainwashed over the years. And that was Kwame Ture was saying to these young black students, you are beautiful. Love who you are. Love yourself. When you shot that powerful scene. What scene? That very, that's very scene. Yeah. And these faces that you're now showing. But you, real quick, though. Yeah. So it's oratorium like this. But we had another room set up. So we were plucking people out. That's what I'm asking. I was saying, all right. So we're pulling people out. We want to have different, we want to just show the same black person. So we have different features. You know, we had some blue blacks in there. Had some high yellows in there. <laughs> <laughs> what were they? The whole, different, the whole different thing. We wanted to show that. And that's why. And then, and then Barry, it's his ideal that we start. Because but first they were there, just standing there. Then he said, you know what, Spike? We start moving these images. Would, were, were they, when they were taken to that other room, was something said? Were you with them? Did something get said to them? I was at my man. I'm in the, yeah. I'm with Corey. Got it. I can't. Now, we told him, look in the camera. No more? Your profiles. Look in the camera. I wasn't there. They would just said, look. My my third camera, shoot them. We gotta go. We're gonna move them in and out. Do you so the continuity is messed up in that scene because we were just pulling people out. <laughs> 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 we didn't care. In Topher Grace casting, how did you decide on him? Good question. I would have never thought of Topher Grace for this role. We share the same agent, the legendary. Tony Howard, and ICM. Mm -hmm. 
And she's never, ever, ever said, Spike, you're going to try to push a client. But this is the first time. She said, Spike, I've never done this before. Will you please read Topher? And since she's never done it before, I said, cool. And uh, he got, I mean, he killed it. Did he kill the walk in and? Yeah, you know, he had, he had, he's, you know, he had death threats, you know, when the film came out. And uh, he, it was, uh, it was not an easy role because he had to dig into that hate. And, and believe it. And believe it. And uh, not easy. Because, Bradley, you know, you know, that sometimes that stuff goes home with you. You know, you just can't like, well, we're done, we're done filming for the day, but it can go home with you. Got it. Thank you, man. Casting. Um, obviously, the stories of finding Yalitza, but I'm interested in casting the kids as well. How do you go about casting children? Again, this is a very different process than any other one that I have done before. Uh, because I was looking for some, the, the instructions that the casting director had were very simple. Is they have to look identical to the people, the original people, like 50 years ago. Here are some photos, and in some cases I would describe them. So it was kind of abstract from them. And also they would have to feel the same. And it was just, uh, the thing is I was dealing with people that I know very well. You know, my closest bonds of affection growing up. And so I just had to find the, the kids that they would feel like them. And uh, I did never put them together to stage anything. I just, as long as I, f because I think, again, I didn't want to mess up. I wanted to reinvent my process. I wanted to do things different than I have done before. Uh, and I, as long as they felt right, I hoped that they would have a the same chemistry that, that my family had. And it happened. I, it was not until maybe a couple of days before shooting that once that they have gone through costumes and, and hair and stuff that I said, okay, let's put them together. And, and I, used to, I put a TV on and said, okay, uh, just, uh, you don't like that show, you like the show, you know, I gave in, in, in separately specific instructions and I let them be. But in choosing people like to play both Pepe and, and Paco, I mean, there's significant things that they have to do, really emotional, particularly remembering a, a past that is not a past and being able to believe that I once was a pilot and I once drowned. In a, it's, it's quite amazing that the boy does this and does it so simply. And I'm curious when you were meeting whoever you were meeting, what you, you just say to them? You, you, you know, you meet them and you start talking to them and, and you listen, particularly you listen a lot of what, if they are kids, you just want them to talk. And would there be questions that you ask? Oh yeah, all the like time. What? Yeah, all the time. I would ask questions about his life and stuff, what you like and stuff, what, what you don't like. And, but this kid was scary, it was amazing. It's just, it, it was, uh, I, have to, I have to pull him back actually. You know, because he could, I would say, okay, these are the lines. Um, from here on, you just keep on remember when you were, and he says, oh, when I was old, he said, okay. It's as if for him made more sense than for me. <laughs> you, you know, and then he would just, you just, with that kid, 
Marco, you would just start him up and he will just go on his own. But that's mostly, I think with kids is, is mostly what happens. You know, I, I don't believe in directing kids. How do you mean? I, I think that um, I don't give them a screenplay. Uh, even if I'm, you know, in another process, I don't want them to really know much of what's going on. Because uh, you take away what they're amazing for. Mm. You know, they, they is, and, and it's just something so, so, so immediate. In the moment that they start having preconceptions and trying to understand, I, don't, I personally don't like all these amazing child actors. You know, those that, that give thespian ex, uh, performances. Uh, I, I like to see kids on screen. In terms of casting somebody like Furman, who has this amazing scene where he's naked and giving this incredible performance, how did you find this person? That was, uh, I knew that he had to be martial arts, so we were just casting martial, uh, martial arts experts or students. And we went through hundreds and hundreds until I met him. And, and, uh, and when you say went through hundreds, who's doing that? You're not seeing a hundred. No, of course I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so who's doing that? For no, that's the casting director. That's, you know, that's what they do. And, and the process would be same as everybody else, that they would send me videos first, just because I didn't want to spend time with people I knew that it was not going to, you know, I agree. You don't want to. I'm a bit more polite with the actors, by the way. <laughs> I give them. A, I, 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 I try to give them like three, five minutes. You know, they went all the way there. I feel. I feel bad. Take <laughs> <laughs> it five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I feel. I, you know, it's, I know that for them it's an Let effort. Let me ask you a question. No, you know, yeah. is every time any any you guys here where someone walks in the room, are you like, eh, eh? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I just got to say, uh, Spike, you're a sweetheart, because I auditioned for him to play, like, pilot number three ten years uh, ago. Uh, and, out. And no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and you were so sweet. And you were so sweet. And, and actors what remember that. I, I forget what movie it was, but that was the first time we actually met, and you were so you kind. You read for me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> man, you missed it, man. You missed it. <laughs> what was this? Um, well, you can't, we both can't remember what it was. Yeah. No, but, but you remember how he treated you, though. Yeah. I do. Oh, That's you, what you you're I mean, say. Spike Lee, you get a chance to read for Spike Lee. Yeah. I mean, you're never going to forget that. And uh, what do you and remember? And he was so kind. I still remember you sat down in the middle. You said, hello, how are you? You asked me about Philly. And then uh, I did the thing. And he said, thank you. you. You know, you got me out quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next. But, but. But you were, but you were very kind, and you are the way you are. You're present. You're a present human being, and so uh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. All right. Oh shit. <laughs> Busted, man. <laughs> this is a special moment. <laughs> Alfonso, I want to go back to Furman. How did you, when you finally found the one you wanted? When did he know that this is how he, this was that moment? No, he didn't know any. Nobody knew anything. You know, it's, uh, yeah. That was part of the thing. They will go, they will show me videos, and I would select a few. And it says, I want to meet with these people. Just wait, yeah. the usual way. And, and uh, I will, with, with that character, I would say, okay, do your whatever exercise while you're talking to me. And that was the thing. And, and this guy, he didn't know how to use that scanso, that, that discipline. And 
and um, Kendo. And he didn't, he didn't know Kendo. And I said, uh, and it was important because the paramilitary group was training Kendo. And there are not a lot of people in Mexico that, I mean, that situation is gone. Um, and, uh, and ones that I like and said, hey, uh, but I want, you need to learn Kendo. And I okay. said, fine. You know, and he was amazing because he became really like a, a top, I don't know about the belts and all of that stuff, but he became pretty much an expert in a couple of months. And all of the other uh, paramilitary guys, they had to be for, it was like process of maybe six months that again, they have to learn Kendo. Got it, wow. You know, the whole thing of Kendo. And uh, so, at, How long was your pre-pro? Was, they had to learn that six months before you started to shoot? Yeah. Well, yes, because he's, try to learn Kendo, man. But how, long, <laughs> but, how, but how long was your pre-pro? It was lengthy. It was almost a year. I told you that's no, what said, I that's, wanted that's to do. Time, I, I, I bought my time. Yeah. I mean, it was not a year of all the departments together. I started one year with the cast. First, I started with the casting mm -hmm. and locations, a small crew of each. And eventually you, you know, that was part of the planning, you know, how you... From the beginning, you said that you want to take your time, right? That it was about time, right. allowing myself to have And when you had this, this particular character to play, when did he know, I'm going to do this scene naked? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the day of... I have to say, no, no, this is a different thing because <laughs> if you've seen the film, he doesn't have a problem of being naked. <laughs> you know, he doesn't None. have an issue there. So uh, he said, fine. You know, he was just, who was kind of uncomfortable was Jalitza. Of course. I mean, Jalitza comes from a village in Oaxaca, you know? And, uh, and, and yeah, she, she didn't feel very comfortable in that moment to, Got it. And, and you're not going to force anyone to do something that, that uh, Well, I'm gonna ask technically, what, did he know a number of days before that this was gonna happen? I'm asking it only because if the day of and talking about anxiety, what if the guy had said, I'm sorry, I can't do that? Then I'll have to put him in briefs probably at the end. Oh. I mean, I don't know. It's just I didn't want to go okay. with that preconception. But at the same time, I didn't want to talk too much about the scene because it was going to take away the whole thing. Got it. And uh, so, but does that actually mean on that day when you're doing this scene, like Spike just said, it was you know I want you to do this without any clothes. Uh, yeah, that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, but you were ready to, if he didn't, if he no, said, no, well, of he... course, I, I'm not going to force anyone Got to do it. Okay, and this is, I mean, I should, I hate to, to, to show the strings on one scene, but, you know, we're peers here. Like, uh, Jalitza was uncomfortable. And I, again, you're not going, to, she was, he was fine, and, but Jalitza was not. And you're not going to force anything there. So what I did is I said, Jalitza, you know what? for his scenes, you, you can leave the room. Yeah, that's the reason that, that, for instance, that one is, and it's rare in the film because you, I don't use that language very much. Yeah, exactly, it's like this, because she was uncomfortable about it, you know? And uh, so I did her side first. Uh, I did, I, I staged the scene with him on briefs, 
so she could react to the whole thing. They, they, you know, staged more or less what it was going to be. Then I, uh, no, I shot him first. Ah. I shot him first. And then I wanted her reactions pure. So I shot her, but with him in briefs. Got it. You know? It. And, uh, and then there's one shot of the hand that I put there uh, a double because she was not comfortable with that. And that's the thing. You just have to sort out the things, you know, as long as you feel that, that you're being honest with the moment. Got it. One more casting. Professor Zovic, if I got his name right. Yes. Um, which is, I, I, I felt in my mind the first time I saw that the air of Fellini was just going through my head as I looked at this character and that particular scene. And I'm wondering, where did you find this guy? Well, first of all, with these guys, we don't find them. They exist, you know? <laughs> we just meet them. Okay, you know? Uh, it, yeah, because someone keeps on asking me, uh, was asking if, when, where did I find Yalitza? And Yalitza, I didn't find her. We met, it's not Christopher Columbus didn't find America. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, but um, the, the uh, so, it was, I, I knew that I needed, like, like a guy who would be like, uh, I, like strong man. Yeah. So we try, first we try gyms, but the, the, the thing is that the, the muscles, the muscle man of today in gym is completely different than the one in the 70s. Uh -huh. You know, now it's like, yeah, it's that, and also I don't know what else. But um, the, uh, uh, you know, in, in my, when I was a kid, I remember the, you know, Johnny Westmuller was a, was a strong guy, you know? And uh, so we start looking then for Lucha Libre guys. And this guy happens to be a Lucha Libre star, but also a stripper. <laughs> well, not stripper, it's uh, one of those only for ladies shows that, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, 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 with stripper. Stripper, male yeah. Stripper. Male stripper, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I stripper. guess that male stripper in a classy show. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and I remember when, it, and, and the amazing thing when I said I, I like this guy, I didn't know who he was, you know, because I don't live in Mexico. So I'm not part of, I, I part of the, of the sociopolitical landscape, but yeah, the little, you know, more pop characters, and I don't know everyone, you know? And when I said, oh, I like this guy, there would be people, oh, how are you going to work with him? And I tell you something, he was amazing. He was really good, mm -hmm. you know? He's, he's, and it shows how our preconceptions sometimes, uh, if we know too much, sometimes it's, it's, not, it's not so good. Well, well spoken, well spoken. Talking about casting for you, Adam, you've got so many characters that, in fact, we recognize. So there's Condi Rice. Well, is, is the actress going to look like Condi Rice? How are you making your decisions about who you're going to cast? Yeah, we were mostly... I told everyone you don't have to do an impression. I don't need you to look exactly like them. But we were lucky enough to get some amazing actors in. And for the most part, they did. It was, it was pretty shocking. And I mean, the thing I really talked to all the actors about, especially Christian and Amy as kind of the, the lead sort of portrait of the movie was like, these real people didn't leave a lot of 
breadcrumbs. You know, we don't know because Dick Cheney doesn't want his story told. So in, in everyone's case, really, we had to do like a lot of research. And I told the actors, you're kind of collaborating with the research I did on the script. Huh. And everyone went very, very deep. It was uh, amazing to watch. I mean, I remember hearing Sam Rockwell on set and we were actually listening to the real tape of Bush reading the announcement of the Iraq war and you couldn't tell the difference between Rockwell and him. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just really, really good actors and everyone did their research and, and sort of the, the mission of the movie was Let's see if we can chase down this shadowy character, this guy who, who doesn't want a story told. I mean, his autobiography was useless. It, it was like, uh, in, ter yeah. In terms of an actor coming to you in an audition, what's your process? I mean, it's, I think it's the same as everyone. I think you, you kind of know when it's clicking. Um, you know, it's crazy sometimes, like Spike was talking about, sometimes you'll see people on tape and you're not even there because you were busy doing something else. And I've, I've cast people off tape before uh, a couple times where it's so good on tape. You go, oh, my God, this is what we've been waiting for. The, the big reason that, you know, you're polite to an actor when they come in beyond basic human decency is uh, that I've been wrong a plenty of times. So uh, there were several times on this movie where an actor walked in and I thought, oh, that's probably not them. And then Don McManus, who played uh, David Addington, I was, gonna ask about that. was a guy who walks in and Don has hair down to his shoulders. Uh, and it's just, he walked in and I was like, just no way. And then he, second he started reading the character, like, oh my God, all right, we're getting a wig. Um, Who's in the room with you? Uh, it's, it's Francine Maisler, uh, did the last couple movies with me, and she's incredible. And then my executive producer, Robin Woolley, is there. It's usually the three of us. And who will read? Uh, Francine reads, but uh, if, I, if it's a character that needs to improvise, I'll jump in as well, because uh, I can throw some lines back with them. And I, Francine knows sometimes, even during the audition, I might throw something in. Now, when you throw a line, are you throwing a line that you want them to say, or are you getting them into a dialogue with you? I'm playing, uh, I'll just, as a character, start jumping into the scene, and, and I'll tell them beforehand, we may go off the script. So then in the audition, sometimes I'll just throw out a line as a character and kind of see what happens and just see how they handle it. Got it. Um, there are some actors, as we know, who are really good at that. Um, some actors who are wonderful actors but aren't good at it at all. Will that stop you if, if you suddenly say, oh, this person can't pick up the improv? Really wonderful actor, but that's not what he or she can do. You know, I've never worked with anyone who can't do it. I, it's everyone can do it. I had I remember Richard Jenkins when I worked with him. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You say everybody can improvise? I, I, I mean, I used to teach improv, so I can I, I can get I can get people to improvise. I you come get, from Del Close. You come from yeah. I taught improv for a long time, so I know a couple moves that I'm not saying everyone's like hit the ceiling brilliant. I'm just asking. But I mean, you're improvising right now. I mean, it's just that's all it is. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. You just improvised. Um, so, yeah, like Richard Jenkins was like, please, please do not have me improvise. And I was like, Richard, I'm going to have you improvise. Um, and then in the end of the movie, there was this big moment. I was like, we need a speech here. 
And he's like, yeah, but we don't have one written. I go, why don't you try something like this? Just say this, this, and this. And he goes, I'm not doing that. I go, come on, Richard, just do it. And he did like two takes. And the first thing when I saw him, this was Step Brothers. And the first thing I saw him after the movie was locked, he was like, you didn't put that speech in in the end, did you? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's in there. And it gets an applause break. So I, 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 when I have them improvise, it's more just to hear what it's like when they improvise. and know that every human can act like a human, you know, so it's just to kind of see how... Almost. Yeah, almost, almost. What were the challenging roles for you, if there were, in, in this picture in Vice? Were there some roles where that really, really you kept looking? I think W. Bush was the hardest one. I think uh, he became such a comedy character, and, and part of that's my partner Will Farrell's handiwork, that he became such a cartoon that you forget there's a real guy there. But then the trick was the real guy is kind of ridiculous. So what's that blend between the two and and the scene we showed? I mean, George W. Bush is kind of ridiculous, but he has to be a real person. And and that's where you kind of cheat and you get Sam Rockwell, who's like one of the best actors alive. Now, did you ask Sam to do it or was there, you were seeing other people or? Uh, No, no, right from the beginning, I started writing the script. I thought of Sam Rockwell and got very lucky that he said yes. Uh, I want to just ask the same question to, to Spike. There's a scene in which this is the sort of the scene when they really rise to power. It's the moment when they're walking through a party and you go into slow motion and there are a whole series of faces of people who are responding to them. Mm-hmm. And they now know they have the power. Yeah. Uh, choosing those people. Do you remember the process? You know, that that's a little bit. Um, I was lucky enough on my last movie to get to work with uh, Barry Ackroyd, the DP, who does a lot of stuff with Greengrass. And I really like that kind of I don't know what you call it, kind of, uh, you know, neo verite kind of style. So Frazier, Greg Frazier is so adaptable to all styles. I just said, shoot this like a documentary, over crank it and shoot it like a documentary and just grab people. So the, we even give minimal directions from the AD, we just say, this couple's walking through, just look at them, they've got the power, and then we just go back and forth, I think we were on a dolly for that, and we just pluck it off like it's a documentary. Because you are looking for it, you don't want it to be perfect. You want it a little flawed or a little off. If it gets too clean, you're kind of screwed. When you were casting some of the, um, I guess, Al Zakawi, do you remember how you chose that particular, he's got a great face, how you chose him? That was big. Yeah, we went through loads and loads initially of photos, and then I picked two or three, and they actually, in that case, I said, bring them to set. And the same with Osama bin Laden, too, was very tricky to cast. And I was like, you can't be wrong on this. If it looks cheesy or second rate, like the movie will just be thrown off its axis. So in those cases, we had them come by, I met them, I talked with them, just knowing once again, we could improvise, they could end up having lines. Um, and so if you're first meeting somebody, what, like for example, that person who's coming in there, what will the conversation be about if you're just talking to them? Uh, it'd just be, hi, hey, I'm Adam, how you doing? Where are you from originally? I'll just do a whole conversation uh, just to see how they naturally behave, talk about what other languages they speak. Then I'll talk to them about the role. Are you aware of what the role is? You don't want someone showing up on their first day and, oh, by the way, you're Osama bin Laden. <laughs> um, so are you, com- are you comfortable? Although I may do that to someone now. That's a, um, uh, so you want them to be comfortable with it. So a, a big thing I'll tell them is just the context. 
what's going on in this scene. How are we depicting it? Uh, you want to make sure the person playing the role knows that we're not doing something where the, the Middle Eastern guy is just the generic bad guy, like we're trying to do something that's a comment about actual history. So that's a very important thing for me. But man, oh man, those scenes were very hard to shoot, uh, especially the, the torture scenes were really uh, emotionally really draining for all of us. And, and the scenes with the terrorists, knowing those scenes actually took place. And they actually sat there and they planned how to kill thousands of people. And, and you know, the wardrobe and the production design so good. And you're in the room with these guys holding Kalishnikovs. It was, uh, all of us had a very somber, sort of reverent attitude towards those scenes. I want to jump just one more thing, casting kids, because the, the kids are fairly significant, at least the young ones in the family. How did you cast the two daughters when they were young? Uh, similar thing. Uh, bring them in the room, conversations, looseness. I, I don't. The biggest thing with kids is you don't want the parents giving them notes. So that's the first thing I will say is don't please tell the parents. I don't want them coaching them. Leave them alone. Cast the parents too, though, right? What's that? I cast the parents first before I speak. I get the uh, speak with the parents. Make yeah. sure the attitude's right. The vibe is good. Uh, absolutely. And the number one thing is parents cannot give them notes because I've had that happen before, and it's a nightmare. Where all of a sudden you come in and there's some weird cadence to their read, and you realize the parent had them do like 50 line read and it's it's ruined like so at that point i'll have to just get rid of the script and just start improvising but mostly with the kids you're improvising anyway don't you guys find it's like you're you're mostly improvising yeah um pete how, how about you in casting were there roles here that were really challenging and how do you go about your process well the whole process for me is is uh i remember years and years ago i was in a tv casting and that, that's the worst I was in a room, there had to be 20 or 30 people in the room, you know, executive assistants, this, that, studio thing. And they had people come in and they didn't even ask them their names. They would come in and they'd go, go. And the person would do one take and they'd leave. And I, I turned around, I was like, are you, are you kidding me? This is it? And they said, yeah. I said, but this is a test of nerves, not of acting. <laughs> You know, on a set, you get people comfortable so they can act. Why would you make it so that they're just nervous? You're really not finding You're just finding the guy with the best nerves, not the best actor. Oh, that's great. No, it was annoying. So I actually go the other way where I, when people come in, I do what you do. I say, where are you from? You know, what's going on? Blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. How long have you been out here? Blah, blah, blah. And then I say, listen, we're going to do it. And then you're going to get to do it again. I tell them up front so they're not a wreck. And they do it, and, and, and then they do it again. The bad thing about that is that I'm getting their hopes up because they're, like, in the room with me for a while, whereas Spike's doing the right thing. Spike's saying, like, <laughs> no, Spike's like, dude, this ain't working out. Go. Like, no, no, no. Don't do that. Right? Well, no. <laughs> thank, no I, you, thank you for coming in. No, no, that, no. Thank but that's, it's like I remember as a kid, when I was probably six years old, I, we, we had a nice little house, no backyard. I said, Dad, can I get a horse? He says, no, we don't, where are we going to put a horse? I said, we'll put him in the backyard. He says, well, they'll freeze back there. We're in Rhode Island. I said, I'll, I'll build a barn. He goes, Pete, you can't build a barn for a horse. You know, we don't have room for a barn. I said, okay, what if I, what if I uh, 
What if I uh, take the trash out every day, uh, you know, uh, uh, and I'll do the dishes? He goes, you can't get a horse. You, we, there's no room for a horse, Pete. <laughs> and I was like, well, what if I uh, get straight A's, like, and everything, and, 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 and I mow the lawn, like, three times a week? And what if I finally said, Pete, you're never getting a fucking horse. <laughs> I never thought of a horse again for the rest of my life. <laughs> it was like, okay, I'm not getting a horse. And I moved on to something, a go-kart or something. And that's what you're doing when you say, hey, thanks for coming in. That's very nice of you. And I'm trying to get them. But see, this is an issue that I have with. Like, I want to know. I want to make them relax. I want them to feel comfortable when they do their lines. But unfortunately, because of that, and I've bumped into people, they think that, you know, well, they must have done pretty damn well because I had them in there for, you know, 15 minutes or something. And it kind of breaks their heart. So it's a it's a double edged sword. It's one of the tough things as far as. My, I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to say, um, uh, my cast, well, I get Rick Montgomery. He's uh, my only uh, guy who's worked with me on every movie, I think. He's been my casting guy. He's an amazing guy. And he weeds through people. So I can take the, that time, you know, because I don't have to look at 100 people. He, you know, whittles it down to 15 or 20 or sometimes seven or eight. And uh, but uh, it's rare that I get the people up front, like, that I want, you know, you know, it's just like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber, 150th guy we offered it to. Everybody had passed. And so I started thinking, well, after that happened, I realized, well, no one's better than Jim Carrey. And he was my 150th choice. So it felt like, well, maybe it's not, maybe you don't always want to get what you want. You know, maybe you want to let the universe do its job and bring these people to you. And, and that's how I started thinking until the universe fucked me over a couple times. <laughs> yeah. And, and I forgot, and I had forgotten, well, yeah, but up to that 150, I was working my ass off to get everybody in. And I started getting like, oh, you don't want in? Fine, you go, I don't care. You know, I got a better thing coming. And I didn't a couple times. And so I now, you know, I fight for it, but I do believe that, you know, you can only fight so hard. Uh, but in this case, I really pushed Vigo because Vigo didn't see, he didn't believe he could do it. And, he, and all his arguments I could overcome. He says, oh, I don't look anything like the guy. I said, nobody knows what he looks like. They said, you're not playing Abe Lincoln, you know. <laughs> you know, he goes, but that guy was, uh, he was heavy too. I said, no, again, no one knows what he looks like. He goes, I don't know if I could do that Italian thing. I said, you did Eastern Promises, dude. I mean, this is a walk in the park compared to that. And I just kept pushing and pushing. And I, we had all these phone calls and, and finally he said, okay, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to gain weight. I said, you don't have to gain weight. You could do a, you know, a fat suit. You know, you don't really have to. You no, I want to become the guy. I want to feel the weight on me. And he went out, gained 45 pounds. And did his thing, but he was my first choice, and I just was like, a, you know, I really held on to that bone. I was like, please, because you like the script. But he, for some reason, was having a hard time picturing himself doing it. And the great news is, once I got him, I knew I could get anybody. So I thought, okay, who's, who's my favorite guy out there? I thought, Mahershala Ali. You know, i just seen uh, Moonlight, and I thought, that's the guy I want. And all actors love Vigo. So it was like, suddenly I had the choice of any actors in the world. And oddly, by the way, got them all and still had no studio. You know, the studios were like, Neh. you know, Vigo, Mahershala, Linda Cardellini, I got everybody. And they're like, I don't know, maybe if you do it for, you know, four million, it's, it's a period piece. You know, I, I need a few bucks. You know, it wasn't that expensive. It was 20 million. 
but it, but there was no way I could do it for four million, and uh, and uh, you know that that was uh, it was uh, it was a different process in this this time in that I got everybody. In in casting some of the roles that were more challenging, which were which were they, and how did you handle it? Um, the more challenging, uh, well, I mean, obviously, there's not that many roles, uh, big roles in this movie, but uh, the family. The family, I wanted, you know, real, you know, Guidos in there. I wanted, like, New York, Italian, hey, how you doing, what's up? You know, I wanted the real thing. So we really, you know, that took a, a long time to look at those guys. And then there were things that just happened that are, you know, like, like uh, Alfonso was saying, like, not everybody gets the script. They get their sides sometimes, and they try out for a part, but they really don't know uh, the whole story. And... I remember the day we were shooting the scene where the Vigo drops the glasses into the trash in the kitchen, and there's the two black workers there, and we had hired them down in New Orleans where we were shooting, and they'd only read that scene. And when we're shooting it, they start realizing, wait a second, they didn't realize Vigo's dropping the glasses. They just see a guy's name. They think that's the bad guy who's doing this. But then they see, as we're shooting it, this is the good guy dropping those glasses in the sink. And they, they, they pull me aside and they said, what the hell kind of fucking movie is this? Like, is this, what, what is going on here? And I had to take him in the other room. We had to stop shooting for about 45 minutes and I walked him through the whole story. I said, yeah, he does start that way. This is where this guy starts. And then he grows as it goes on. But they thought, like, they don't know where this story's going. And all of a sudden they see the hero, obviously Viggo Mortensen's the star, and he's doing this stuff. What is this? So it got really interesting. And well, are you saying that the two actors suddenly said, wait a minute, this yeah, is what, we're, what, what we'd agreed to? Well, they were like, "What? I want to know more. Because they had just seen, you know, Tony Lip drops the glasses in the sink, but they don't know that's my star. They think they must be working at someone's house who's a bad guy, and it's going to clearly be a bad guy. And so, they're, yes, they, were, they suddenly started saying, hey, whoa, 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 where's this going? I want to know more. And so we, we just stopped production for like 45 minutes. I took them in. I told them the entire story. And they're like, awesome. Let's go back. And we did it. And it was great. So it was, yeah, it was interesting. And dealing with the kids, you had to, because that's part of the family. What did you do in casting those kids? Well, we cast them a little older than they actually were. They were about three and five, the kids. But we didn't want to have to deal with that. So we cast kids who were like eight and 10 or 12. So we could have them longer in the day because, you know, there's a certain amount of time you could have little kids in each year. But also, um, you know, I, I don't make them read at all. I just talk to them. You know, how do you do it? Say this, blah, blah, how you doing, blah, blah. I get the feeling for, you know, what they can do. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard for them to come in. And if it were a much bigger part, I would have them read lines. But it's so little, I know I could just be. I'm curious, them, so. at the end, the guy who's the maitre d' in the very last, uh, uh, last sequence where they're playing their, their final gig, how did you find him? Read him. Rick Montgomery brought him in, and um, he was just awesome. He just, you know, one of those guys, as soon as he did, as soon as I saw him, I thought, yeah, that's the guy. I might have seen him on tape, too, and I, and I might have, I might have even cast him off tape. No, I think Rick had him, he had him show me on tape, and then he came in, and he was just, he was just perfect. And uh, as it turns out, I guess, that guy, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm so sorry, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he, he was... Uh, it kind of in a popular Disney kids show, and my kids when they were watching, hey dad, that's the guy, you know, that's the principal from you know something, and uh, 
but uh, but and I'm glad I didn't know that because it might have it might have I might have thought I don't know if I want to do it. But this guy just knocked it out of the park and he was fantastic yeah. and did a, just a great job. Bradley, thank you. You've been in auditions. Thousands. <laughs> there was a time where I, I didn't realize you actually get the role. I, I, I swear. I, I remember the first time I actually got the role, I thought, wait, 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 what do you mean? I have to, sh I have to do it? I thought like a good week was like, I get a call back. I'm, I'm set because I have another job and this is just a thing I'm doing running around New York City. And it's like, oh, I get a call back. But then there's sex in the city. What do you mean? I got to go. Wait, what? A wardrobe fitting? What? <laughs> so that was crazy. But yes. So, yeah. But, but you now know the process from being sure do. Spike. Then here's the question. How do you go about it? Because, you know, again, this thing that you were talking about, Afonso, uh, time. I had so much time to prep this movie. And because I co-wrote the movie. As I was writing it, I started, you know, you, first of all, the, I, the, the thrill of being able to have actors, to direct a movie and to, to have actors, and I could shoot actors that I love their eyes and their face and their presence and their voice. That, that was one of the things. And I, I love giving every character uh, an entrance in our film. Um, but as I was writing it, I just started to think about these people that I've known, like Lunell, who's the cashier, uh, is, I worked with her in All About Steve. And um, she's wonderful. She's a stand-up comedian. I thought, she's got to do it. So I knew she would, Gabe Fazio, who's the guy that comes up to Jackson in the, in, in the, in the cop bar, it was my uh, classmate in grad school, and he was the best actor. And I was like, and he, we actually did Place Beyond the Pines together. He plays Ramon, the, her, her, her friend? No, no, the guy who comes up to Jackson says, I want to take a photograph. Oh, oh, he looked okay. like the guy that, yeah. And then Derek, the guy who was Etta James, was in grad school with, and he always had this incredible physique. And when I was thinking about the, the, those shots, I was like, I want Derek's shoulders. And I was like, maybe I should ask Derek to come do it. And I explained the shot. I know this is crazy. I know you've never done drag, but I want you to sing Etta James, and I'm going to shoot it like this. I want you to do this with your hands. So, you know, Charlie's my dog, you know. I, the, the, my ear doctor is the ear doctor in the movie. <laughs> Half the crew's in the movie. Uh, Maddie Labatique is the photographer of her. Um, I, and I guess that comes from the joy of being able to shoot people that I've loved over the... Ron Rifkin, I did Alias with. I've known him for 20 years. I, and I, I love our relationship, our real relationship. And we've been through so much together. Uh, I thought, oh, we could, just, we could just crush that. He has to be the guy in, in rehab. And also because of the hearing aids. Greg Grumberg, who's his driver, I did Alias with. So it was just like I got to use all this... 20 years as an actor being in this business to start to cherry, cherry pick people and ask them to be in the movie. Were there any people who actually... Anthony Ramos, I did not know. He was the only person that I saw on tape. And, um, and you saw on tape, did you? I, I didn't, yeah, yeah. Because, I, I, you know, I just... It, it's, all, it's like Eli Kazan in that great autobiography of life talked about what he would do is invite them over and go for a walk around the block. I, I, that's what I subscribe to. It's like, it's, it's all about a quality, right? And that's the only thing, you know, people would say, like, oh, you didn't get the role because you don't have the quality. It's really true. You can crush an audition. You can kill it. But if you don't have that quality that the director's looking for, it doesn't matter. Um, and I don't think that always comes through when you're acting in a scene in an audition. It's all about, I'm looking at you right now. Like, can I see you? Are you present? Can I see your soul? You know, do you have this? Do I want to shoot you? And is this going to, with a camera? And is this, and is this, and is this, uh, you know, something that, you know, there's a connection. And uh, that only comes from having a conversation. And that's what it was with Lady Gaga. You know, I heard her sing, and it blew me away. And then I met her at her house, and, and just talking to her within 10 minutes. And obviously, I wanted us to sing together to make sure that, you know, it wasn't abominable what I was doing with her. Um, but it was just that quality. And we were talking about earlier, you go on faith, you know. Same thing with Dave Chappelle. It was like, I, I met him in London. I was doing The Alpha Man. We had this incredible eight-hour conversation. 
And I thought, oh, this is perfect. He, he would be perfect for noodles. Just everything that noodles has gone through and what Dave has gone through. And there's that similarity that he could really speak from a deep, deep place. Um, so, yeah, so that was, you know, Mary Vernu did an incredible job, but I'm sure I was also a pain because I was like, no, it's going to be Jake, the Marine that I did Sniper with, is going to play your manager. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, doing children, there's a wonderful scene with Dave Chappelle. Where the, that's his the, daughter. That's his daughter, Dave Chappelle's daughter, and that's Drina De Niro's son, Leo. So I just asked them to bring their real kids uh, because then they don't have to fake it. And, when, and also, there, there's a... There's a there's a style of performance in your movie that has, in, in a strange way, an improvisational feel as well. It may not have been, but it has that feel of people actually in conversation, um, even overlapping dialogue. And I'm curious because did that, because you know these people and can trust that process, or how did that evolve for you? I think it's a combination. Um, I think that, you know, you're talking about repeating questions and Q&As. I often got asked, like, is it harder to act and direct? I, I really felt like I had such a leg up because I could be there in on the field with the actors and, and risking with them. And I think that it was their trust. They were even willing to trust me even more, I think, to show their soul. Um, and authenticity was just something. You know, we have the real deal with her. And, you know, even, for example, about casting, you know, they wanted to cast Jack's band. And I had been, at that point, making music with Lucas Nelson and his band the whole time. And I was just telling him, what do you mean, Cast Jack's band? That, that's his band. Um, so, so it was just about being authentic constantly. And, um, you know, I, I do like to shoot two cameras at the same time. Um, so that there's that ability to overlap. And then when it's not a nightmare in the editing room. Where do you uh, put yourself? This is actually for all of you. Where do you put yourself? Well, not yours is even more complex. I'm interested in where you put yourself on the set when you're shooting. But where did you put yourself? Or I like to be very close. Uh, uh, and just from years as an actor, you know, I, I get, you know, taking out, you know, how can I get rid of the paranoia for the other actor? And if it's just like a voice from, you know, somewhere else, like, there's no even video village. I would just go into the dit and watch the playback. I didn't even want, I don't want chairs. I don't want anything. Um, and I, like Clint Eastwood with American Sniper, he was always right there. I would ask him and David would please be really close. So I'm always very close. All those scenes uh, that, that Jackson's not in, I, you know, I was right there, right by the camera. Poor Scott Sakamoto, who's the greatest ever. You know, I would always be right hunched in over him. Um, uh, but that, because I like it, it's, it's a community. You're doing it together. Um, and, and for me as an actor, I, f I could give you my best work if you make me feel safe and it's inclusive and we're doing it together and you got me, you got my back. If you're just throwing me out there and I'm sort of in this abyss, uh, uh, me personally, I'm not going to give you what you want. In setting that, in fact, that's our responsibility to set an atmosphere. And risk to fail. That's the other thing. Let's just try stuff. You know, as Jackson's like, you know, you know, other actors watch, oh, that was horrible. It's like, it doesn't matter. Let's just go. Let's go. And the other thing about anxiety, it's like what you were saying. It's like, did I, did I excavate as much? That was the thing when you're in that hole. It's like, did we go deep enough? Did we, am I utilized this time? Have we explored enough? Have we gotten to the truth enough? We got to keep going until they say time's up. And when something's behind you, I'm, for example, there's a moment in the scene we just saw where... I think it is Ramon who's behind you, who, who's laughing. You're, you're, you're in front of the other performers. How are you being able to, as a director, recognize that all of these people behind you are giving you what you wanted? Uh, well, that, in terms of the drive, that was all about creating an environment where people are going to be acting natural. So it's, it's, it's 
getting a rhythm before we even start shooting of having music playing, getting people talking, getting so there, and then, and then almost them not even knowing because we were shooting so fast. Um, just, and also placing people that I would watch behaving in a way that I thought was naturalistic behind me at that time. Like that guy was sitting, standing over there, could we put him there? And you know, things like that, especially who, was, who Jackson goes and starts to talk to. Just observing behavior of the people in the scene while we're, while we're even setting up. And so then you, you are you gonna check? Uh, you just said, I realize there's no video village. Are you going to still check? Okay, I want to make sure I've got Yeah, that. I'll go just for like a second, just to see it. But I don't like to watch too long. Just, just like a second. I'm almost like, say, yep, okay, that's good. You know. And when you're working in, in terms of uh, positioning yourself in a way, there's the two wonderful scenes with her. Um, one I know you've talked a little bit about, which has to do when you say she's ugly. Um, what's happening in terms as the director here and the actor knowing that if I'm going to do something, and this applies to Adam to your working too, I'm, it's going to be fresh. She's not going to know that this is going to happen. Where are you so that you can, if there needs to be a take two or three, how are you handling it? Well, that was actually tricky because we were in the confines of that house, which I love so much. But for that particular thing, I want to do this pushback and then have the door close on, on us, the audience, as you know, she rises up as a titan out of the water, naked and bam. Um, there was luckily a closet, so Scott, again, Sakamoto, we had to like excavate that closet. So it was quite a technical shot, actually, for the end part of that scene. Um, but at that point, Stephanie and I had gone through so much, that was probably the last third of the shooting, um, that, that we trusted e each other enough. Um, I think I may have said to her, and also, and also, she's naked in a tub while we're shooting the scene. I mean, it's a very vulnerable thing. Um, and I think I just whispered to her, um, we're going we're gonna to have to go a little, it's going to get a little rough. And then um, and she just sort of was like, okay. And then I just walked out, and then, um, and then I walked in, and then we did it, and it got pretty ugly. And, uh, and it was hard, you know. I was actually shaking, I remember that. And then we just hugged and kind of cried together, because it was fucking horrible. Um, it was horrible. Uh, but it was beautiful. I mean, that's why we do this. It's like raising that ugliness to a place of healing. As you said... A place of healing and authenticity, as you just said. You have the scene again, another one near the end of it, where your character breaks. Do you remember setting that up? You know, that was all about um, uh, environment. You know, this this place of almost it's almost. I wanted it to be you know light and serene and oddly antiseptic, and yet and then you'd realize that they're not even private. At the end of that scene, there's a woman on her laptop. You know, so there's these like horrible moments you know, life moments that are happening in these facilities were like in the public eye. Um, that was, was so heartbreaking to me. Um, that was a much longer scene. And, and, uh, and I, I didn't cut that down to the very end, you know, because it really, it really, we were both, it was rocking, man. And, uh, and, they, it, and it had such a beautiful arc to it. Um, and, um, but that moment where he, um, he, that happens to him, that was only one take. Um, and I remember her, uh, just how, her care. I remember her touching my, uh, my, my with her fingers, and I just thought it was just so special. And I remember thinking, I thought, oh, but I didn't cry. I actually didn't cry in that take. Um, and I thought, and the, 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 here was the dilemma as the actor, and I thought, but, but right after we wrapped, I, right after we cut, I started crying like hard. And I thought, oh, should we just roll again so we get the real tears? And I thought, no, motherfucker. I was like, that's what happened. He wasn't able to in that moment. And, and that was a really tricky thing from the actor and the storyteller. And I just said, 
I just made peace with it and we moved on. Uh, but that was an interesting day. We hope you enjoyed listening to part two of this exclusive discussion. You can watch the full video of the Feature Film Symposium on our website at dga.org events. And be sure to download next week's episode, where our five feature film nominees will finish their conversation, touching on directing actors and knowing when you've gotten the performance. Past episodes of The Director's Cut are available wherever you listen to podcasts, and be sure to click subscribe so you won't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally. 